Bonjour, citizens, and welcome to another episode of Daleks Aren't Robots. I am Josh, host, and I need other titles. Um, and I am here with my friends. We have Zach, our fact checker. Hello. We have Kari, our nerdy person. Hi! And back from his studies, Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi. We're glad to have you back. Yay! All the podcast where we talk about Gargoyles fanfic, right? Yes, totally, totally. Okay. I thought it was Transformers fanfic, Justin. Wouldn't that be more your gig? I've got it all. I'm ready to do a full podcast. Uh, Gargoyles Transformers slash fiction. Oh. But no, this is actually the podcast where Zach and I, who are Whovians, Shokari and Justin, who are not Whovians, Doctor Who. And today, we're finishing season one by going to the French Revolution in Reign of Terror. Justin, it's it's been a little while. Care to do the summary? Yeah. So they basically, they're going to drop off finally Ian and Barbara. Well, Susan was very tearful and the doctor could give a fuck at them at the parting. None of them seem to notice that they are in the French countryside and not in the middle of London where they left from. So they all go outside and they find out that, you know, it's, it's French Revolution times. They run into a house where they meet a... Uh, Feral uh, free-roaming Gavroche child. Um, the French Revolution, so those were just roaming about. Yeah, they're all over. It was Gavroches everywhere. And basically through a lot of shenanigans, they're separated. The doctor separated from the others who are brought to Paris. Because they're mistaken for French aristocrats. Yeah. 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 I mean, to be fair, they were hiding in a place where French aristocrats were hiding at. And dressed right. as French aristocrats and, and for some the reason. That those French aristocrats were wearing. And meanwhile, the doctor is slowly working his way to Paris after them, murdering people along the way. I can yes. <laughs> well, we see him kill one person, but I assume there's many others on the way that we just don't see. Just a trail of destruction. Yeah, yeah. They, they um, do try and cover up the murder with snow. We'll talk about yeah. that. And then it ends. <laughs> I think you skipped some parts. Yeah, we run into really... French history. Yeah, we run yeah, smack dab into French history. Revolution stuff that happens in the middle that is weirdly smug in terms of being made by, you know, the BBC. Yes, it's very smug. About as smug as you would expect from British people making a yeah. show about French history. These are the most British French people since Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, and the yes. doctor does save all of his companions from getting executed. He does. He does. Yeah. He absolutely does. A couple times. Yep. Yeah. Then it ends. So yeah, we're we're diving headfirst into the history of the French Revolution, which I'm pretty sure all of it is bullshit this time. <laughs> well, um, some of some it of isn't. It some of it isn't. It is not. Okay. Let's talk right. about the actual episode first. There are um, only humans in this one. There are no brain slugs. I was very disappointed. No brain slugs, no sensorites with their footy pajamas. No, nope. they're all French except for one guy. There's an English spy. Um, they're all Definitely super English though. Yeah, I'm not quite sure totally what the deal was with that, but I had a hard time telling some of the characters apart for this one. Yeah. And this is another one where they're missing some of the episodes and they had to be like rehydrated and reconstituted and yeah. put back together like horrible Frankenstein Actually, monsters. Actually, we, we should probably talk about that because this is the first time you've seen an official BBC reconstruction. The last one we saw was a fan-made one. Now you've seen what happens when the BBC puts actual money into the animation. Yeah. And I didn't show you the worst versions the BBC released. Yeah. Oh, dear. 
they did a slideshow version and I swear to God, a guy dies. The way they handled it was they photoshopped him lying down and like drew blood coming out of his mouth. Like it was. Oh MS God. <laughs> I wish we had seen that. <laughs> this was not as bad as that would have been. But honestly, I like the fan reconstitutions better. Yeah. There was something unsettling and uncanny. uncanny valley. The animation was good, but just a little bit like an uncanny valley thing. Yeah, I almost prefer the, the you know, Ukrainian malware Sims version. <laughs> with, uh, yeah, it was, it was more charming. Yeah, it the, was. The version that someone made in Lionsgate's The Movies. Yeah. Yes. Sort of a cross between flash animation and rotoscope. Yeah. There was something wrong with the eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The spacing yeah. on them or something. Yeah. Or their size. And the way well, the that they moved. did seem to keep getting bigger. That had stole the show, even oh, in real yeah. life. I think no matter how much they drew it, they could never get the hat big enough and still <laughs> keep it on the frame. Bigger. <laughs> bigger. It's the biggest hat. I do feel like also the historicals where they don't have to work with any real people people like with the aztecs i mean obviously they're probably based on aztec people through history and they do mention cortez but he's not like in the episode in this one they have at least one actual person yeah Robespierre, right. and so they have all these specific events that we know quite a lot of things about it so they have to like bend the whole plot around that and make sure that that's how it ends up yeah. so i think it's time, harder right. to write when they have to do it that way right the last time we did it we were dealing with Marco Polo, the details of Marco Polo aren't as well known as the details of the French right. Revolution. Yeah. So some things are correct and some things aren't. Robespierre is in this and so he had to end up with his head chopped off, which is how he really end up. Yeah. But he also had to be super badly wounded in the jaw, which they actually did do but in real life it was a lot gorier and more horrifying than this episode shows and i was well, super glad about that because i don't need that level of historical accuracy yeah like, also 1960s britain you can only get away with so much as the show progresses we will see a period where there's a bit more fake blood thrown about i'm not yeah. even gonna go there because i don't like to think about it they did it off screen yeah. um it's still yeah. pretty horrifying the way they do violence is actually very effective it has a certain quality to it that hits you harder than I think a lot of shows that show you stuff do. I'm glad that they didn't show it because I yeah. didn't need to see it. But So they've got Robespierre to work with, other French people who are important that I don't think are historical. There's a Jules guy. He looks like Miles O'Brien from Star Trek, kind of. I did not point that out. Some One of you guys did. And then after that, I just thought of him as Miles. So when they called him Jules, I was like, who, what? What? Oh, Miles O'Brien. Never mind. He's working to rescue aristocrats from the guillotine. There's a guy in a striped outfit named Leon, and he's like super obviously evil. He might as well be wearing a sign that says, I'm evil. Ask me how. He hits on Barbara, which at this point seems to be the quickest way to prove that you are yeah. actually a secret bad guy. Exactly. The Thule yeah, back in the Dalek hit on. Yeah, that blonde guy was okay. Yeah. The other important French guy is this guy called Le Maitre. Please forgive my pronunciation. He's an important official with the revolution, and he seems to be the main antagonist at first, but then he turns out to be an English spy, and his name as an English spy is Jim fucking Sterling's son. <laughs> 
I am not kidding. People at home, Kari is a bit of a fan of a show called Jim Pressions on YouTube. The Jimquisition. He does and the Jimquisition. So that name stuck out to her a little. It made me laugh. There are some other random French people, but none of them are really that important. The Jailer is dumb. The Taylor is skeevy. And Napoleon is pointless to show up. Oh, God. That was another one where I was like, seriously, guys, Napoleon? And I looked this up because I wasn't sure. The day that Robespierre died, to when Napoleon actually took over the country was like six years later. Oh, yeah. They uh, collapse a lot of time in no. this episode is what I'm saying. All the Napoleon stuff is completely inaccurate. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Because afterwards, one of the other revolutionary guys has like a rendezvous with Napoleon and it's supposed to be super significant and stuff, but it's just like, I don't care about these people. I mean, just because it's Napoleon doesn't mean that I'm going to care about this in the context of this story. No. I don't even know yeah. why they added that. The guy that met with him, Barris, was actually... Oh, yeah, that's a real person. Yeah. The but person I don't think met they with... met. No, no, no. And he had nothing to do with Napoleon. No. Well, he supported Napoleon six years later when Napoleon took over, but... Uh, yeah, before in six that, years. Nothing. Yeah. General impressions. What did you think? Okay. I thought it needed to be shorter. Mm. Yeah. Even at six episodes, it felt really long. It got bogged down. I don't like, mind the story itself, but I think it was too long. They needed mm. a few less characters. Mm. They shouldn't have done the thing with the doctor. Not not our the doctor. The other doctor. <gasps> the French guy who does doctoring it's turns doctor. them into the evil revolutionaries. Yeah, there's a period where Susan gets sick, so they take her to oh the doctor. God. And then yeah. she's captured and released and suddenly not that sick anymore, apparently. This one to me is like two stars out of four. Yeah, right? It wasn't great, but it wasn't it wasn't like bad, bad. I was, Things kept happening, but they were not always very significant and therefore not interesting. Boring, I guess is the way to put it. I was going to do this later, but I guess we can do this now. I'd like to introduce a scoring system to this. So we've got a, a scale of one to four Daleks. Uh, Kari, you've put it at about a two. Yeah, I would say two Daleks. Maybe like two Daleks and an egg beater. (laughs) Uh, Justin, how would you put it? Using your arbitrary four Dalek scaling system. Using the arbitrary four Dalek scaling system. Probably like a two. Okay. Zach, you feel two as well? Because I am biased because I know way too much shit about the production, I have to go three. Mm. Mm. Yeah, maybe we'll like it better once you tell us some stuff. I had trouble with this one. I am actually going the other way. I'm giving it a one and a bottom part of the casing Daleks, one and a half Daleks. I actually I, think it had a really strong start. It just kind of- It did. Out. I think if it was shorter, it could have maintained some momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the first couple episodes are really good. And then we get to Paris and all yeah. of the different subterfuge and groups and stuff. And I completely stop caring. I wish that they hadn't done anything with the English spy and Napoleon. They could have cut those two plot lines out entirely and it would have been a lot better. Yeah. Well, like they could have had Lemaitre turn out to be an English spy and just not done the part where the guy dies at the beginning. He could have just been like, hey, I'm an English spy. I'm going to help you. It would have been just like the Scarlet Pimpernel, man. It would have been great. Uh, That's where they stole the idea from. Yeah. Yeah, they should have just done that. Steal more, no guys. Point. If they had needed more padding, they should have just, you know, just cut between the Ian, Barbara, Susan stuff back to the doctor's road trip, which was my favorite part of the 
That was amazing. The doctor has so many cool moments in this. He finally gets to murder someone. This probably more than any serial this uh, season is the doctor's serial. The doctor gets to just walk away with it. He really does. And it's great. He's just a delight. And Hartnell is wonderful in the role yeah, too. really good in this one. Like mm. he gets himself into trouble by being arrogant to this group of guys working on the road. And then the guy in charge forces him to work too at gunpoint. Then he tricks the guy, manages to get him in the hole, takes a shovel and just nails the dude right in the head. <laughs> yeah. Like just so hard too. After the guy gets nailed super hard in the head with a giant shovel, he starts snoring afterwards. Like we're dumb enough to believe <laughs> that someone knocked unconscious with a high velocity shovel would be A, alive after that, B, snoring, and C, totally fine when he wakes up, I, guys. I, I think that's just the body releasing gases upon death. <laughs> I, you, he hit that guy hard. There is no way that guy is still, like, even no if he is alive, me. he is totally brain damaged. There's no way you can't convince me that the rest of his trip to Paris, the doctor's road trip to Paris was not filled yeah. with like four or five small vignettes which end with him killing somebody. He yeah. had five kilometers. Yeah, yeah. One, a, one a kilometer. He's got to budget it, you guys. People will notice if he kills too many he, people in one place. He finally got away from his granddaughter. He can engage yeah. in his murder <laughs> habit. Which is yes. kind of funny when it comes to the end and they talk about how, oh, you couldn't have changed things like killed Napoleon or stopped Robespierre from getting shot. You can't change all that, but I can kill as many people in the French countryside as I want. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they're not important, <laughs> Yeah, I it's guess. a great men of history thing. Yeah, yeah, that was adorable. And then later, he pulls another con and he tricks a whole bunch of people into thinking that he's an important official in the French yeah. revolutionary government. Including and he Robespierre. gets to wear the hat yeah. that yep. we run mentioned earlier it is an amazing and, and hat just, it is like a marching band hat with like every single one of the plumes from everyone in the whole band on one hat yeah he has the most plumes and he I, has all of the plumes just to stick it to the new who doctors david tennant and all of them he managed to infiltrate the upper echelons of the french revolution without any psychic paper god damn it oh i do not know what that means and it sounds really stupid so i'm looking forward to finding out <laughs> what it is that hat is fucking amazing <laughs> yeah and also the way that he cons these people is hilarious and entertaining yeah it's yeah, basically it just sheer guts yeah he just tells giant lies and they all believe it. He just coasts on audacity, basically. It yeah. is all the audacity, like all of it. Have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yes. Yeah. It's that scene where uh, Christopher Walken is explaining how to lie to people and he's like, why do people love the Yankees? Because of the pinstripes. Like, that's what this is. It's not about like how well you can do a thing. It's just showing up and having the gusto to say whatever you want with confidence and people go along with it. And I absolutely believe that to take another line from that movie, that this doctor could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman with white gloves. Yep. Yep, I completely could. believe that. This is just his episode. It's wonderful. Not everybody else fares as well. Susan is totally useless. Again, 
Yeah, by this... She gets to wear a cute dress, but then she gets sick, and that's about all she does. She's sick. And granted, she was playing with rats. completely scared of rats. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's not unreasonable at this time. Like, rats were plague carriers, Mm. and they also bite, and they're big. At the same time, this is full-on Susan is now the useless person. The writers just screw her over. They do. I actually still think that she got sick from the rats. And Mm. then she just gets better. Yeah, she just randomly gets better. And that was another problem that I had with it. These people should know better than try to go to a doctor, a a legitimate physician, shall we say, in the 1700s. Yeah, they mentioned leeches and they were surprised. Yeah, Yeah. why were they surprised by that? Like, I thought everybody knew that. Certainly Barbara should have known that. Yeah, Barbara should definitely have known that. Look, Barbara stopped at the Aztecs. She didn't cover any history (laughs) after that. (laughs) She never got out of the Aztecs. I have to defend Barbara in this one because she <laughs> figures out a way to escape the prison. They don't actually end up doing that, but she had a way out. She gets flirted with by a bad guy. She's kind of awesome. Her outfit does not measure up to the doctors in any way. She's still pretty great during it. I feel like God Queen outfit from the Aztecs, that is the peak of Barbara's outfits. Oh, I like the Roman one though too. That was pretty. Mm-hmm. Her hair was gorgeous in that episode. Oh, I hated her hair in this one, though. She has her hair in the cute 60s bob thing, but no one ever mentions it. Like, do you know how strange that haircut would be back then? Yeah, Doctor Who has a tendency. There's a a lot of issues with their authenticity. I don't mind a little bit, but they didn't even try. But it begins and ends with the fact that they're speaking with English accents in France during the French Revolution. Um, Yeah. I have a quote from the script editor about that. Oh, yeah? Script editor David Whitaker. Like, oh, girls, did you sell your hair? Is that it? Did they shear you before they were going to cut your head off? I mean, at some point, you're going to see women running around in the Elizabethan era in blue jeans. and Oh, God. And no one says anything or stares? No, no. Oh, that's stupid. They should at least have someone gawking at them. Why are you running around in your underwear? It's weird what they do and don't decide matters from episode yes. to episode. There was a complaint about the English accents used in the serial, and the script editor, David Whitaker, responded saying, there's nothing worse than Frenchmen speaking in broken English to each other. There's nothing worse. They actually just speak French, right? <laughs> I mean, you could do it that way, or you could just have French people, like, actually play the parts. I mean... <laughs> That's what his comment's on. He didn't want to do that. Because yeah. he didn't feel the Frenchman could speak proper English. Rank British snobbery is all yeah. it is. It's kind of low-key racism against the French there. French people and English people hate each other. Uh, thanks, David Whitaker. You've made it awkward for me to defend you when I like your episodes. I mean, there is an English guy in this episode. That's part of the issue with that. It took me forever to figure out that he was an English spy. I'm not even kidding. Like, they had the whole deathbed conversation and he cacked it right there on screen. What just happened? He never comes out and just says, I am an English spy. They haven't yet explained the translation, right? No. They still haven't actually explained explained that that in the series yet. So so everybody was just speaking the King's English and 
France. An explanation is eventually given, but we haven't gotten there yet. But the whole um, English spy thing was very confusing because they never used the word agent or spy. I don't know if it's something where the English people that were part of the BBC didn't want to admit that England was that dishonorable and naughty that they would have spies. Probably. I don't think so because one, they took the thing from the Scarlet Pimpernel and two, the name James Sterling was a play on James Bond because Goldfinger was being made at the same time. Oh, I did not know that. I think it was probably just a weird script decision. I mean, I did figure it out eventually because I'm not that stupid, but it was very confusing at first. The big issue I have with the whole story, though, does kind of tie into that, where it's like we've got James Sterling running around and we've got Robespierre and this plot with Napoleon, and absolutely none of it involves anyone we actually care about. Our, yeah. our characters are basically just showing up to watch the story play out at that point. And it's not even much of a story, really. It's just a series of factions moving about. Then they go back and forth between the jail and everywhere else so many times, too. They go to jail, then they go. Then they come back to jail. Then they go again. Then they go to jail. And they could have cut out several of those jaunts. There is one other really good thing about this episode, though. They oh. tie up and torture Ian for a while. <laughs> yeah. He has some good moments with that. He was not as smugly British about that whole thing as, as I would have thought he would be. He does some actiony stuff. And actually, he does apologize to Barbara at one point, too. So I'll give him credit for that. But I like it was the, kind of I'm funny sorry, to see this, Ian I'm all cuffed up. I'm sorry you feel that way. Yo, no, none of you. I'm sorry you feel that way, crap. No, but yeah, they had him all like cuffed out and splayed out and awkwardly hanging there. It was great. Somebody's button. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just like to see him getting what he deserves. That's all. I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. That was all I had to say about the team. And you're right. They do kind of get Mad Maxed. Even Mad Max, like he, you know, pops into other people's stories, but he's still, yeah, he has something to do. Here, you could basically cut the TARDIS crew out. And for the most part, you would lose nothing in regards to plot details. They don't do anything. Well, that's not exactly true. Ian does deliver the message from the dying spy to Jim Sterling. Yeah. Yes, that is literally the most he does and all that really helps with is seeing the pointless meeting. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But it does matter to that guy at least. I will give them give this for all the racism we've uncovered and the inaccuracies with Napoleon. Napoleon is not short when he shows He is up. not. Nope. No, he's not. He's just like an ordinary looking dude. Yeah. British, but you know. Well, so is everyone else, Everybody. which is why telling a British spy from anyone else is so hard because they're all British. Yeah. He announces, I'm actually the British spy. So, like, wh- is he just that good at a French accent? No, they don't I, use they're French all accents British spies. And... That's the answer. Yeah. They're all British spies pretending to be French. <laughs> Every this single one of these characters is a British spy. This, this British is... spies who decide, who decide to start cutting each other's heads off. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this is actually some weird beware of dog in reverse bit yeah. where all the British people are trying to trick some Frenchman into thinking that he's back in France. The uh, jailer was added close to the end of writing the script because they felt it was too dark, so they wanted to add a humor character. That was our comic relief. Really? Yeah. I mean, he was silly, but I don't know if that was a good choice. No, 
There wasn't. That's them trying to. Uh, who's the guy in Macbeth after uh, Duncan? The Porter. Yeah. Not a good choice, I don't think. At the same time, we also don't know what it would have been like without him, because it probably would have been a lot darker. I mean, this is basically a six-episode thing about beheading. They don't ever show or really even imply any beheading. Oh, well, we... they definitely imply it, but not well, with visuals. Yeah. We see a guillotine at one point that goes down. Yeah, but it doesn't have people near it. No. No, and you don't no. even see the blade hit. I mean, you see but the top part. That's it. I think even a seven-year-old kid watching this at home is going to figure out what the guillotine is for. Probably. Yeah. I knew what a guillotine was at like six. They might be right about it would have been too dark. Yeah. But that does bring up another thing that kind of bothered me about this. The show really takes sides against the revolutionaries. And I'm not saying that the anti-revolutionary side doesn't have a good point because they beheaded a lot of people. And by the time we see any part of this story, we're already to the point where they've started purging their own people yeah. with the guillotine, which is what happens to Robespierre. I mean, and arguably he deserved it, but there were a lot of other people that got guillotined. But at the same time, we see all of the nefariousness that the rebels do, but there's no recognition of the causes of the revolution. There's no indication that there's been a massive increase in population, a huge increase in unemployment, a massive increase in food prices, because of some bad harvests. Like, I read that the cost of living increased 62% in 44 years. Do you suppose that's because they assume that people know what the French Revolution is about or because it was written by... British people. British people. I'm kind of leaning toward the British people thing. Yeah. And the funny thing to me about this is, I did look this up, just the historical stuff, nothing about Doctor Who. The Crown was having a massive debt crisis, too. Yeah. And part of this was our fault, because they had helped the Americans during... Our nope. revolution. <laughs> yep. And then when they asked us for help, Alexander Hamilton said, uh, fuck you. And yeah, that was I, super great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's in the play. Well, and I've never seen the play, and I've only heard some of the music. It's somewhat our fault, but also, like, there was a lot going on, and if you starve people to death, don't expect them to be sweet and kind and nice and good no. while you sit in a massive gold-plated castle eating fancy food all day. There was that part where they talked about how maybe the traitor wasn't that bad of a person for supporting the revolutionaries, but it really seemed kind of token. Yeah, Barbara's well, entire argument there seems to be, but he was so nice. So, you know, maybe the revolutionaries aren't so bad. And then yeah. it's immediately undercut and that later on Barbara's like, yeah, no, you're right. He was a dick. So Well, and he was too, to be fair. But like, that doesn't mean that it's cool to starve people to death. Like, I, it's bad to chop people's heads off. It is. But I, it's bad to starve people to death too. I, I, I don't I, know what prompted this point of view, Zach. I'm very curious. Well, Parv is the French Imperial feeling, and the episode even ignores this. If you go back to during the French Revolution, and even in the Imperial period, what the British is always against is revolution. Doesn't matter who it is, they don't want that to happen in Britain. Oh, yeah. it's because we burn them first. And they don't want the French Revolution to spark revolution against them. Yeah. Right. That was widely discussed at the time of the revolution. Well, it's not discussed at all in this episode, if you notice. No. There is, in 
fact, a whole lot of um, different very conservative movements that came out in England from the French Revolution that exist to this day, primarily about why the aristocrats were, you know, maybe not great, but we shouldn't be killing everyone. It's a very complicated uh, situation that frequently got dialed down to the aristocrats were kind of mean, so the revolutionaries killed everyone. And I do want to say, taking this to a slightly more personal level, for people at home, we watched this last week, and we are recording this two days before Biden's inauguration, so we were watching it still pretty much in the aftermath of the attack on the Capitol, if you're in the future and not remembering that. And so- I I don't know if that made a difference to how I felt about it or not, because I've read a lot of stuff about the revolution in the past. Me too. It makes a little bit of a difference to me, but I'm not an expert on the French Revolution. I'm definitely not saying that the revolutionaries were the good guys, because there are no No. good guys here. It was just a fucking mess. I guess what I'm really saying is, I think in the 2020s, our view of the French Revolution has shifted pretty greatly from what our view of it was in the 1960s. That is quite possibly true. However, there was a lot of sympathy, like we've said before, for the aristocrats in England at the Mm. time of the revolution in France. I happen to know that because I read A Vindication of the Rights of Man, which is Mary Wollstonecraft's defense of the revolutionaries. Mm. It's an excellent, very fiery text. So this was definitely discussed at the time, but I was very surprised that that attitude had carried on through the 60s, that the majority seemed to be like, well, the revolutionaries were terrible and they just randomly cut off people's heads and everything was fine before then. Speaking personally in, in like high school, I remember that wasn't the entire gist of it, but I remember a lot of the focus when we learned about it in history was on, and then the mob killed everybody and that was bad. I remember talking about the starvation and the poverty levels and the the general absurd wealth levels of the monarchs versus the abject poverty of the people. Yeah. Like, I remember talking about that. But then at the same time, I was reading Account of Monte Cristo when I was in high school. So maybe I was reading that by myself. I read all that stuff when I was in high school. So I did not. But not as part of the curriculum, right? Maybe we just know that because we're nerdy. Yeah. And I was a nerd. So yeah. I read all that stuff. Not a nerd now. Now I'm really into sports cars. and Yeah, you're super yeah, cool no. now. How is that football NASCAR. going? NASCAR, yes. You guys can't see it at home, but Justin has, in fact, just punched a jukebox and made it work. So yes, that's- it was amazing. <laughs> But anyway, this is what people come to this podcast to see, right? Talks about the politics of the aristocracy in 18th century France. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I just, it <laughs> bothered me while I was watching I it. I mean, I got involved as well. And it, it's kind of what the episode's about. Any discussion about the subject material has to come back to that because that's what it's about. Yeah. Right. Is there anything we want to touch on before we get to the twisted, tangled mess that is this episode's production? I just wanted to reiterate that it's all also super hard to care about any of the NPCs. It really is. Like I said, there's no good people here. Starving the peasants is wrong and bad. And chopping people's heads off is also wrong and bad. Like Because they the didn't ver- stop at the mean aristocrats who were actually in control of things. They no. killed all of them. Their families, the kids, every, I mean, yeah. each other eventually when they ran out of enemies. It's all bad. They were all bad. <laughs> Even just putting whatever backstory aside, it's already awkward that the episode seems to really want us to be on the 
the side of the aristocrats, which like, no. But also, these people are so goddamn boring. At least Marco Polo had Ping Cho to keep me involved, to it keep did. me caring about somebody. Here, there's nothing. we didn't know anything. We didn't know about Leon. What were the circumstances of his life? Like, they could have dropped one or two of those, let's go back to the jail. Oh, let's not go back yeah. to the jails. Yeah. And like, actually dealt with their backstory or something. We found out more about the Aztec. That's because the Aztecs is uh, good, right? Good. And this is not. It is It is not good. It was fine. It wasn't as boring <laughs> as the cavemen, but it was not great. No, I guess that's fair. Everyone was making fire in revolutionary France. So, <laughs> exactly. Know. So they all had to die. I think you're right. That was the issue. It all comes back to Og's political theory of fire. Yep. yep. I think you're correct on that. Now tell us about the production travails because I am super curious. Yeah. As to how the hell Marco Polo got this beautiful production treatment with gorgeous costumes and sumptuous palaces, <laughs> and this got like three bricks and a rag. I'll start off by saying that we actually had our first location shooting of the show. Oh. And it's a fucking dirt road. Three of the shots of the doctor walking from the back are on location in Buckinghamshire. The interesting thing here is, first of all, it's Britain for France, and that's not William Hartnell. (gasps) What? You're kidding me. That's great. We had a stunt double for the first time. Oh my gosh, I did not notice that at all. (laughs) Only from the back, in the long shots. You never see his face in those walking shots. No. No, Um, you don't. That's true. Okay, my mind is blown. This really aggravated William Hartnell because Brian Proudfoot, the actor, would stand in studio and watch him to try and mimic how he walked. And he just started just really getting irritated and saying, get this guy away from me. Nobody... Nobody wants to see somebody else do an impression of how they walk. No, because we all walk super weird. Remember that moment in the birdcage where he's like, try to walk like John Wayne. John Wayne was really macho. And then Nathan Lane walks like John Wayne and it's eerie and creepy. Yeah, Robin Williams. Not macho. Robin Williams is like, no, no, it's perfect. I just never realized that's how he walked. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) it just makes you second guess everything about yourself. I love the idea of William Hartnell on set being followed by this guy dressed as William Hartnell copying everything (laughs) William Hartnell does to get it just right. Between that and the fact that where they were doing rehearsals had a leaky roof, so they kept having to empty buckets, the actors. Oh, um, no. Hartnell was definitely more aggravated than usual, which leads me into one of the big things. So the director for this episode, this was his first time directing TV and his last time ever working for the BBC. He was Hungarian, and from the start, William Hartnell gave him a really hard time. Partially because he was new and partially because he wasn't British. There's still a lot of racism, frankly, against Eastern Europeans in Britain. Yeah. This episode is sadly the episode where we learn everyone who worked on the show was a little bit racist. I mean, some of that is the era, but that doesn't make it okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm not a film student like you, Josh, but like it didn't seem badly directed to me. Like I never had any problems with the acting. For what Doctor 
who is at the time i thought it was decently done it was not as beautiful as the aztecs but like that's a high bar no the aztecs they went all out like the shots were gorgeous in that one the fact of the matter is most of the production crew on this this was their first time ever filming for tv the production assistant the director so it's like, so, i mean fine should have been good enough then that's really it's, sad it's that they probably tossed him. they didn't toss him he just didn't work for the bbc after this well we should talk about episode three the first two episodes went by and then at the start of filming the third episode the director collapsed and had oh to be rushed god. to hospital oh my god yeah uh, the doctor literally killed someone you guys <laughs> No, he came back for episode four, five, and six, and the production assistant took over a lot of the directing jobs and talked to Hartnell and told him to be a lot nicer. And Hartnell kind of was sorry about putting a guy in the hospital, so... Oh my gosh. But, well, at least they worked it out then. Yes. But... Here's the big thing. We don't know who directed episode three. Oh. Barry Lambert claimed that it was the production assistant, Timothy Combe. Combe says that it definitely wasn't him. He thinks that they uh, helicoptered in a director from the Keys of Marinus, but that director denies it. And Carol Ann Ford claims that there were six people, including Verity Lambert, shouting directions at the actors. Oh my gosh. Okay, so it's a freaking miracle yeah. that this is as good as it is. That's basically what I think happened. If for no other reason than I believe that Verity Lambert would hear about this situation and be like, damn it, everyone out of my way. I'm doing this myself. Verity Lambert took shit from nobody. Well, and it was her baby. It was her baby. She put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this show. And I'm very happy that she's getting her due about it now. Oh my gosh, those poor people, though. Yeah. That would be awful. Oof. I believe episode three was also difficult because that was the one with the horse and cart in the tiniest studio. <laughs> Oh, no. They had to bring the horse in and then the cart in because they had to be very careful because you couldn't really squeeze by the horse or cart. I don't know where the heck they put the camera either because that's a super narrow area. It feels really claustrophobic. And at the time, I thought that that was like intentional, but maybe they just didn't have room. Nope. It was the stateroom scene from A Night at the Opera, just wall-to-wall people. Oh, my gosh. And for you young whippersnappers at home, back in the day... A camera was this giant dog-sized object on fucking wheels that you needed, like, two guys to fucking carry. Why are you so angry at the imaginary youth, Josh? (laughs) I hate the imaginary youth. I just want to know why. (laughs) Let's get to the bottom of this, Josh. Cameras used to be really large, though. It must have been really difficult to film that. It looked super claustrophobic. I, again, thought it was on purpose. And then another thing, because of how they did this filming, they had to change sets out a lot. So by the time you got to, like, episode four, the sets were falling apart. You can even see in the animation, they recreate a crack in the wall of Jules' house that was only there because the set started to fall apart. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure if praise should be given to those animators or if they need to be whapped on the nose with a newspaper because they had the chance to fix it and they're like, no, we will preserve this mistake for all time. Well, maybe it wasn't a mistake though. Maybe they figured it would show the decay of the French aristocracy. (laughs) Yeah, You gotta think about the theme, Josh. Right, right. Zach, before we go, we need to talk about the Napoleon One Society. This serial got criticized for its historical inaccuracy by M.M. 
M.G. Oborsky, the honorary secretary of the Napoleon I Society, claimed that the BBC has a certain duty to educate or at least not to misinform children based on the fictional meeting between Paul Barris and Napoleon. So far, this sounds reasonable and normal, but the details are where this goes nuts. Wait, okay, so this guy is French, obviously, right? Nope. No. He's not even French? Why He's does he not care? even French. Okay, all right, all right, all right, go on. He was Polish and English. His actual name, which I had to track down, was Michael Masik George Orborski. He founded this society basically in January, the year after this episode aired, when he was 19. As far as I can tell, he's the only ever member of the yeah, Napoleon One he's Society. He's not the secretary. He is the entire society. And he did this from a small town in West England. So did he create it specifically to complain about this? Yes, that yes, seems to be the I case. The man created a historic society just to bitch about Doctor Who. That seems like a lot of work. Today we can just go on the internet and bitch yeah. all the time. And I think my favorite thing is he's Polish. I mean, to be totally fair, fucking Napoleon wasn't French either. No, he wasn't. He was Corsican. Like, uh, that's not France. Zach was walking me through the process of finding this because this took days of research to find the Napoleon One Society. I found the sentence. The sentence and that review was everywhere on multiple websites, but finding any information backing up this statement or who this guy was or why everywhere claims this was impossible to find. Weird. At some point, it was like that bit in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie has the cork board up with all that stuff and he's going, there is no Napoleon One Society. There is no MMG Gaborski. This man does not exist. I mean, it could just be the doctor. <laughs> the doctor trolled his own show. Why wouldn't he? He's a troll. This show should be glad that he didn't whack it over the head with a fucking shovel. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing I will say, remember how you noticed when Barbara's actors took a vacation or Susan took a vacation? You didn't notice that Ian's actor took a vacation for episodes two and three. Well, I don't actually like Ian is the thing. <laughs> Well, but something that I think Zach is pointing out here, when Susan and Barbara took vacations, the writers decided to just write them out of the episodes entirely. With Ian, they still work in a subplot for him for the time that he's missing. Oh... That is unfortunate. Yeah. To be fair, they didn't do that really for the doctor either. He was just unconscious the whole time. That is true. true. In this one, the doctor's around on his murder spree throughout the French countryside. <laughs> <laughs> that was yes. amazing. We're almost to the end here. Yes. I do have to say one thing. Mm. Okay. I know that you guys reviewed Revolution of the Daleks and no spoilers, but I have to know this one thing. Mm. At any point in Revolution of the Daleks, do the Daleks get a hat like the Doctors? No, not even a little. God damn. Zero <laughs> out of four Daleks. Worst ever. The Daleks do get a hat eventually though. Ooh, does it have feathers? No. Giant plumes? Ten feet tall? No. Oh. It's a fedora. Oh. Yeah, they're, they're the... They're do they those start Dalek explaining to people? <laughs> <laughs> Do they m'lady exterminate m'lady? Well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so fitting now that the doctor's a girl, though. Mm. Wow, truly it would be her worst enemy. You cannot be the doctor. You are a woman. No, they would not say woman. They would say female. <laughs> that is correct. 
you are a female. You're taking yes. back to four years ago when the internet exploded. Well, I mean, still, if you go certain places, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. A fedora on a Dalek. <laughs> what kind of monster came up with that? To be fair, when you see it in context, it'll make sense. I'm somewhat misleading you here. <laughs> I live in fear forever. Now I'm curious about the context in which a Dalek wearing a hat makes sense. <laughs> well, they they, they rob octopus. a haberdasher's. Well, they are the little octopus thingies. I know, that's what I'm thinking. Do they, like, take one out of the tank and put a hat on them to disguise them or something? It's part of the new video, Daleks Gone Wild. It's a Dalek wearing only a hat. Ooh, sexy. (laughs) You can see all of it. Again, that's somebody's button. Let me tell you something. (laughs) I have seen the fan art. That is definitely somebody's button. Oh, God, we have to end the podcast right now, you guys. I want to thank everyone for joining us today for the season finale of the first season of Doctor Who ever. Join us next time when we enter season two and we go back. Ah, okay. If I coordinated this correctly, we should have landed right where I begin the outro. Cannot believe you stole a freaking TARDIS just to fix a small mistake and not look dumb online. There's so many better uses for it the last time, Kari. We are not going back in time to kill Ian. Quit killing my dreams, Josh! Anyway, it's not just that. It's important that they know we actually are not covering Planet of the Giants next time. We are doing something special. Right, we're covering Doctor Who and the Daleks, the first Peter Cushing movie. I know this. And then we're going to be changing up our formula a bit to cover some other eras and get more of the show. Yeah, I know. You want to explain all that here? No, I'll probably make a small announcement thing and post a schedule to our Facebook or something. You mean our Facebook group, Daleks Aren't Robots, and our Twitter, at Daleks RNT Robots, both of which we conveniently link below? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, you want to announce it? Yeah, we just did. Oh, cool. So now we can... We're not killing Ian! No, stop. Get away from those controls. I would also like to ask everyone that if you haven't, please like, share, and subscribe off of our YouTube. We are also now on Buzzsprout, Stitcher, Spotify, so many different places, Apple Podcasts. Are we those YouTube people now? We are those YouTube people just, now. Just, just, just create that like button for us. Yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. Push the like button. Exterminate the like button. Yes. Punch the bell. I don't know what to do with the bell. Do something with the bell. Oh, also check us out on Facebook and check us out on Twitter. Uh, we put up cool stuff there. And Kari also checks it regularly. So if you don't like Kari, go over there and tell her how much she sucks. <laughs> oh God, what did, what did you do? You what threw you the done, woman gosh. to the wolves. That's what you did. You. Yes, wow. I did. Until next time, feed your TARDIS and feed it French children. I assume it ain't that Gambro. You know my plans always work perfectly. Hmm?